hear you're tired. <laughs> I am. I feel like I've been hit by a bus, David. Should we let me, start? Let me. Should we yeah, start? Yeah, we're already started. started. I mean, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna, I was gonna, gonna share with. I'm gonna count us in. I'm gonna count us in in five. Okay. Four. There you go. <laughs> Are you still with us? <laughs> I'm. I'm barely here. Somebody, can somebody <laughs> get the paddles? Uh, Jim has. A, Jim has had a hell of a day. He started off the day uh, actually going to work. Yep. And then he played a gig, and then yep. he came home, and he got on the podcast at yep. what is now 9.30 his time. Oh. Um, so this is probably going to be a shortened episode just for the fact yes. that i got to keep Jim awake for like 30 minutes then we oh. go to bed. Um, there's a big brown box behind you, and I think – I, I had some stuff on today too, but I think the big brown box is, is a bigger story. So It's fragile. <laughs> it's very fragile. And there's a hole in the wall. It has a set neck, too. It does have a set neck. So, uh, I made the decision, based on my brain versus my heart, to let my V2 go, because I'm going to replace it with an ES-335. feel like and you should put caps over this. Yeah. What? Oh, yeah. What should we what should we call this? Broken heart? Should we call yeah, this episode of Broken I Heart? Should, I don't know. I'm literally I'm Broken literally brain or something. I don't know. I don't it, you know, we've we've talked so much about what drives me with gear, right? We we really have. And most of the time you well, I shouldn't say most of the time, all the time. You realize that I get driven by my heart, you know, I get driven by I buy guitars because I I go to them by the way I feel about them when I see them. There's a very romanticized mystique about them. So for me to look at the, you know, at the hole in the wall right now is kind of, believe it or not, it's, it's, it pulls here and makes me sad. Um, but I realized that I wanted, I don't have, a, th there are certain sounds, right? You have certain sounds that are, right. That are guitar sounds, and they're they're famous guitar sounds, and they're, um, and there's that, there's that Gibson sound, but the Gibson sound is really in three. You could some people could argue four with the with the uh, not the Destroyer but the, uh, the Explorer, but it's really three famous sounds, and that's a Les Paul, the SG, and of course the, the hollow bodies, the S three three five, the Birdland, so on and so forth. So I said, all right, I really want a 335 because there are certain things I want to be able to do with a 335. And yeah, I mean, it is like the semi-hollow. It is. I mean? like, it is the guitar for semi-hollow. And yeah, and the years for 335 are the 60s. Um, right. So I went ahead and um, put a 60s 335 on my way, and I am selling the V because the V does not have a famous sound. So it's packed in a box, in a case, in a lot of those foam peanuts and some bubble wrap on top and bottom, and then in a box, and then that is packed in a box in foam around that box and that box, which was my, uh, that's the box they sent my... I believe they, they call this Ford box. Yes, that's that's the Sweetwater box that my um, custom 
can't move my custom point down. So uh, what does that mean? It means that um, I'm saying goodbye to the V to bring in a cherry 335. And the decision of what color 335 came down to, I was told by a few people, much like any guitar, if you found one you really like and you like the sound of it, get that one. Because yeah, don't don't worry about the other the other nuances. I mean, especially with with sunny hollows where the body actually does make more of a difference. Yep. I mean that's yeah. I almost bought a a, a PRS semi hollow. That was the yeah. You know, I've gone back and forth on those so many times because when I play one, I've always had like this feeling like yeah, it's kind of semi hollow, but it's not. I, it's not as prominent as a 335 for sure. Like when you play a 335 or a 175 or any of the other like Gibson or Epiphone, you know, hollows or semi-hollows, because there's so much wing on those guitars, they just, yep. they're just different. Um, actually, you know, you'd think, I've, I've had people describe it to me this way. It's like, well, I bought a semi-hollow because I get better sustain. Bullshit. Because actually what I see happening with most of those guitars is... It's a more low mid focus, yep. but it's like the guitar doesn't ring out the way a solid body does. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it's not persistent or whatever. That that's why um, a, a very famous semi hollow player or um, it, it is Ted Nugent, whether we like it or not. Ted right. And Ted Nugent once said of a Stratocaster, he said once a person put a Stratocaster in his hand, he played it, and the note just went, oh, and so he. He picked up his Birdland, which is what he's famous for playing, the Birdlands, which he, he owns like all of them. I'm just kidding, but he owns a lot of them. Because there are not a lot of Birdlands. It was not a big selling Gibson guitar right, at the time. Right. And uh, it's a very big guitar. You would, But he depended on that feedback. He used that. Lot. I was just going to say, but his, his situation is different than most people that pick up 335s and stuff. Like, yeah, because 335s are high game. game. Uh, last time I saw him, he's running 5150s, uh, PB 5150s. Yep. Like full up and a stack of them or two or three stacks on, you know. Yep. And he's standing in front of them, getting them to drive and feedback. And yes, they will feedback a lot more easily than a solid body guitar will. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the sustain of the instrument itself. And like when you pick one up and you put it through a clean fender amp, you're not going to get that unless the amps turn way up. Right, right. I mean, 335, I, I don't know what it. Chuck Barrett use um, for amps. That's a good, that's a good question. Because um, I, I know. I, mean, I would assume he was using basement amps. Yeah, like Fender basements. Because he didn't have a lot of. He just he had a very clean sound. I think he used uh, like like a lot of Gibson Lab series and stuff later too. Because um, I know uh, not Lab series, but the other the other Gibson stuff, the other Gibson amps at various times, um, especially in his early career. But I think back then, like, I don't know. So if you're after the, the that sound, like, understand that those guys didn't give a crap about their sound. It was like, what amps can I get? You know, it's like, yeah. it wasn't really. And how little, yeah, how little can I pay for them? Um, right. They, there was that, uh, that mentality, we've talked about that before, that mentality has driven a lot of very famous sounds. Um, sure. I mean, even Led Zeppelin. Here's but 200 I was, bucks, go down to the store and buy me some Marshalls. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I, I 
I was um, listening to Run Run Rudolph, right? That That's Chuck Berry, right? Yeah, I, he's probably done a version of it. Um, anyway, I, and you listen to the solo in it, and it's kind of dead. It's kind of dead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I'm looking up Run Run Rudolph right now. Yeah, I think that's him. I think you're... Yep, it is. Yeah, what, it was not written by him, but it was popularized no. by him. Yeah, of course. Um, um, yeah, so, and he was running a, uh, he was running a bigger um, hollow body at that time. Probably a J-series, um, or one of the bigger ESs. Uh, if you look at the guitar that he's he's playing. Yeah, he had, he had an ES-350T. That was like... That, that's it, the 350T. And he was playing brown-faced Princeton reverbs. Oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, he also rocked a 335 from time to time. Yep. Um, but the 350T was the, was the Johnny B. Good guitar. Yep. Um, yeah, which is why it was funny that um, when they did the uh, movie uh, for um, Back to the Future, he chose a three, was it a 345 or 335? Um, I, no, they was a three, I think it was a 335, but the stupid part was it wasn't introduced until 1958. That's what I was going to say, and the, and the 335 and the didn't exist did in 1958. In 1958 so. <laughs> and so that, that's always been a, um, a sticking part with guitar players for that movie. Although a lot of people picked up guitars because they saw um, that movie and that part. And when he, when he went into the Van Halen thing on that, which obviously was mine, but yeah. still... And then he's in there. <laughs> Your you parents know, the funny part love is this. he actually does play guitar, which is oh, yeah, which yeah. is even funnier. And then like, uh, but but you know you're talking about the three thirty five or whatever in that scene, and and um, I've always, I mean, like I've had a thing for the three thirty five, but not necessarily from from movies. And like, I just I'd seen players using more than John McLaughlin being one of them back in yep. the you know yep. Intermountain Flame days, um, and. I, honestly, I can't play them. I'm too small. I can't get my arm over them, and like, I they don't feel comfortable to me. Yeah, a lot um, of a lot of people who don't like the 335 go to the 339. I think it's right, the 339. Right, smaller, smaller. It's like body. a like a one percent smaller body or something. Oh, it's a, yeah. It's it's well, you put them together, and they're considerably it's considerably smaller. The Mickey Mouse ears are a little bit smaller. Yeah, they they feel higher and more rounded, although they're. The Mickey Mouse ears are actually kind of the same size, um, but uh, yeah, it, it's a it's an interesting thing. The Gibsons, that's something that that I noticed about Fender. Um, other than the um, the Acoustasonic line, obviously, and the seventy two, uh, well, the, the thin Telecaster, lines. they were just they yeah, weren't just thin lines in general because because there there is a Strat thin line. That's the uh, Eric Johnson, right? Yeah, and I mean, but, you don't buy a Fender for for a hollow guitar. No, that's and that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, you you really don't have, but but the other side of it is three thirty fives are, God, blessed expensive. Yeah, well, it's the it's the manufacturer. I mean, think about it. Even the electronics have to go through the damn f hole. Like it's not those guitars are no joke. It's um, kind of like building a uh, what do you call it a bottle a, a ship in a bottle. Yeah, I mean, well, they, they so what they te they do is they template them and then they just stick them in there and then they, you know, yeah. they have tools to move them into place and yeah, um, yeah, they've got little leaders so they can pull stuff through. What's the three thirty five even going for now? Three grand is the 
three to yeah, seven. See, I'm surprised they're not four or five at this point. Three to seven, or, or three to six grand, and that's not even the super like custom shop things. The VOS. Um, yeah, which which are noticeably great guitars. I've played a couple of them. Before. Yep, the VOS '60s model, 1964, which is my birth year, um, go for fifty six, which doesn't surprise me. Um, right. The the uh, three thousand dollar models though are actually pretty darn good. Um, now what's funny is the three forty five, which Chuck um, not Chuck Berry. Um, uh, King, uh, um, not Albert King. Um, yeah, because he, he was a B guy. Yeah, BB King uh, famously played a 345, which is the same guitar only with a block. What do you mean a block? A block of wood running down the middle, if I remember right. The 335, the 335 is a block of wood running down the middle, too. Oh. Yeah, it's yeah, a semi-hollow. It's not a full It's not a full hollow, yeah. No. In fact, I don't see any full hollows in the regular Gibson lineup right now. Yeah, they're probably they're probably custom shop or better. Yeah, they. Uh... But yeah, no, and and I think his his was also a semi hollow, but he had the, the vibrato on it, and it predated the three thirty five as well. Um, shape is different. I'm trying to remember what the difference between the three thirty five and the three forty five is. Look at that. We had somebody return a three forty five. I went to buy it. It was gone already. <laughs> Is it the Veritone? Well, the Veritone used to be in the three forty five. Now they're not there. That's why I thought it was. Um... Pair three forty fives have parallelograms and the Veritone switch. That's and that's basically the difference. So if they strip that out, then it's just the then it's just a then it's just the parallelograms. Yeah, apparently, that's what I'm reading in a forum. So your mileage may vary. Yep. Um, but you know, I don't think anybody really looks at those models of guitars like as like separate things, even though they really no. are. I mean, yeah. they kind of just look at them as like, well, it's a Gibson semi-hollow. Yep. You know what I mean? Like it's or oh, yeah. or it's a sem or it's a Gibson full hollow. You know, and that's like a whole other thing. Um, yep. That's like 175s and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I like know. I said, I've, I've, I've never, never been, been super into the hollow body thing, but I but I get it. Like a lot of people love them. So. Yep. I'm a different generation though. Listen to the music I listen to and, and want to play. You know, it's like it just doesn't it doesn't fit all that stuff. Maybe some of the jazz fusion, but like outside of that, I mean. I can't imagine using the 335 for a lot of that. Because, like, even just playing high gain, the 335 just seems nuts to me. Um, it kind of defeats the purpose. Oh, yeah, I couldn't see... It's character, you know? Yeah, I couldn't see using a 335 for high gain. Yeah, yeah. So... Right now, they're out of stock, the 335s. For sure, for sure, because a uh, new model year's coming. And I think... I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they handle next year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. They don't start so we have, out dealerships. Yeah, we have Nam coming out, coming up, but it won't be Nam Nam. It's going to be. I didn't know they were doing anything. I thought it was basically like done. Really? Yeah, I didn't think they were doing any product announcements or anything. The Winter Nam Twenty Twenty One. 
show canceled due to COVID-19. Um, virtual event called Believe in Music. That's which it. Which is not necessarily... A, right, right. So it'll be interesting to see how that ha happens. Um, I think that's more of a let's talk to our music merchants about how they can get through this crisis kind of deal. Yep. Um, which some of the smaller mom and pops could probably use some assistance. I was looking, um, I mean, I wasn't looking to buy anything, but I was just looking to see what the price of Vigier was. Are you familiar with Vigier guitars? Nope. Uh, so, so I was just looking and I was going around to, because um, they only have a couple dealers in the States. It's like five or six dealers. So I found one and, and I think they were in Louisiana or something. But their website was like GeoCities under construction, you know, birth of the internet kind of thing. And it says like, it says like under construction store hours. And I'm sitting there going, how the hell are you even in business during a pandemic? I mean, I don't care where you're at. I mean, that's just insane. Because, I don't know. Anyway. Um, so you did that. I did a thing today. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to give away all the information, but I'm going to give away enough to, to, to get pe to wet people's appetite. So I, I went to um, Good Time Today with the intention of placing an order. Um, I was going to buy a Fillmore. Uh, I plugged into the Badlander. I walked in, actually Jeff was playing it. I was like, right, this is too good. I want to stand here and listen to this for a minute. And then he's like, gives me the cable, you know. Um, so I plugged into the Badlander and I was expecting like Mesa brutality like, you know, full-on death metal brutality. And what I found was, like, not that, um, which was a pleasant surprise. That amp sounds really freaking good. Um, I played all three channels. I found the clean channel to be very clean, pristine. Uh, if you put it in the variac mode, then it sort of dirties up a little bit and it gets a little bit more compressed and you can push it harder on the preamp gain and you can start to get into those deteriorated type tones. Uh, we didn't have the volume really up over nine o'clock, but um, we were flipping back and forth between the 50 and 100 watt switch and the Variac and Bold switch. And that like that amp just comes alive. There's just so many different ways that you can use it to do you know, your day-to-day -day operation kind of stuff. So if you don't know like how Mesa, some of Mesa's amps are set up, they have three modes per channel. Usually you have two channels. Sometimes they're cloned, uh, depending on the model. And in this one, they're cloned. So you have clean, crunch, which is exactly what you think it is. Um, it's, it's a higher gain crunch sound, suitable for like really hard rock or like blue, like really hard blues. Um, I didn't have a lot of good luck with the gain control between like nine o'clock and, and say maybe 11 o'clock, but 11 o'clock to 11 o'clock to two o'clock was great. There was a lot of potential in there. Um, and it may have just been the guitar I was plugged into and it may, it may have been the cabinet we plugged into. There's some other variables that could be a play there, but um, it did not. I will say this, the, the regular dual rec has a less usable gain structure below nine o'clock or like below two, yeah, below nine o'clock. So basically when you get in that territory, it's just it's just fizzy, like weird, broken, fuzz pedal sorts of sounds um, on a clean sound, like with a, like a clean sound mixed into it or something, it's weird. Um, and I really dug the crunch channel quite a bit. So 
then we flip over to the you know to the crush channel which is the the third mode of the of the uh the amp and then you can actually so the way you can set the amp up you can have like clean on one and crush on the other or crunch on one and crush on the other or crush on both with two different sets of settings so that's why the, the um cloning like when you first hear that you're like that's kind of dumb because you could have had six separate different modes across two channels well yeah but it's never going to perfectly fit everybody's needs and a lot of times what you really want is just to have the same channel the same channel setting on the other channel with like the master up just a bit more so it's in a lot of ways i think it's actually more flexible um, I think a lot of gigging professionals really appreciate being able to have two settings at their their uh, feet, you know. Yeah. Um, so it does have the, you know, the torpedo-based IR out, so it's their chip, but it's not their software or anything. Um, we didn't play around with that. But I, I can say that the amp at 50 watts is plenty loud for gigging. Like, I mean, forget needing anything more volume-wise. You won't need a PA if you buy one of these. Um, I mean, you should anyway, but if you're one of those kinds of bands, like this will work for you. Um, and what, what immediately took me was like the amount of mid-range content that was coming out of the amp was not typical of what you hear when you hear somebody's playing a dual rectifier. When somebody says that to you, what do you think about? You think like a lot of treble, a lot of presence, you know, really crushing distortion tone. And yep. that is not what this amp sounds like. It can do that. Sure, but that's not a sweet spot. With the knobs at noon on the crunch channel and the gain at like, you know, maybe a little a little bit behind noon, I mean, it just slays. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't get past that back. So I sat there thinking, I'm about to put a down payment on a film work. And of course I have all the money I need to buy the film work and buy it if they had the one I wanted there. Um, and I was sitting there thinking like, maybe I should just take this home instead. And and the thought crossed my mind, and then for about 20 minutes, I sat there and I deliberated, like, would I rather have this, or would I rather have a film right now? Um, and what ended up happening, so I, I played in, I played the combo back-to-back, um, the head and the combo with the Badlander, and the combo I wasn't as enamored with, and I think it was just, you know, it's open back, there's a, there's a Celestian Cream back in it, which is fine. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, I think, the more, uh, like, the, I, the V30 for sure has a lot of fizz at the levels I have to play at in my condos. It's, like, not exactly my favorite speaker. Uh, I'll say the cream back that was in that amp sounded great. Um, I believe that was an H, no, it was an M um, cream back. So I don't know what the wattage on that is, but it's, you know, it's obviously more than the 50 for the, the uh, amp itself. Um, and we plugged it into the Lone Star cab with a C90 that they had sitting there. And that sounded great. Um, actually probably sounded better than the cream back that was in it. And I kind of went back and forth. And I was like, well, if I buy this, I'm not buying the combo. I picked it up. The combo is 60 pounds. <sighs> 60 pounds for a one by 12. Um, you know when they give you the casters with the amp? <laughs> like, you know you're maybe, in for it. Maybe this is a little too heavy for me. Um, especially if you have to go up downstairs, which is a thing for me. Um, so then they, uh, then I was like, I, they had a, they had a Fillmore 25 there with a, with a, um, cabinet, the head and cab situation. So I plugged into that and I dialed the clean channel and I was like, when I first started playing, I was like, God, 
you know, as good as his amp is, my heart lies over in the other amp. I flipped the, the drive channel, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, we're gonna we're gonna get the Fillmore because um, it just does something different. Like it's not your typical, um, you know, everybody else plays high gain or plays with you know like rock amps, right? They have a very specific sound they're going for, like this thick muscular overdrive thing. Um, and the Fillmore does that, but what the Fillmore does great is that you can hear each individual string. And it's like almost like they're all being run through separate amplifiers and being distorted individually. Um, and the, the punch in the low end of the Fillmore seems to be almost like there's a clean signal being routed around the amp and you're just getting low end off the clean notes instead of it being all distorted, and um, which, which provides a fatter sound. I mean, it is, it's definitely compressed, but it's not, um, it doesn't feel like it's being affected in the same way that your other, uh, the rest of your, the frequencies of your signal are. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the high gain side of it's, it's dynamite, um, like every other Mesa Boogie ever. And, and quite frankly, like, that's not an amp that you would even expect at the high gain, you'd even be using it, you know, it's like, that's not what it's for. Um, so I just, I said, you know what, I've been looking at these for two or three years now, and I keep coming back and going, like, that's probably the amp I should buy. I'm just going to buy one. But I also realized that I'm probably going to buy a Badlander too. It, it, that's going to happen. I, the reality is that the Triple Crown, as good as it is, um, that's an amp that I've been continuously going back and forth. I wouldn't sell my Mark Five Twenty Five to get a Triple Crown. Right. But the Badlander, I might. And that was that was kind of like this eye-opening moment. Was like, this thing does that better than that probably does it. The only thing that's keeping the Mark Five Twenty Five around right now. Number one, I have an attachment to it. I've, I've played that thing for like six years. I know how to dial it in now. I'm still like unlocking some of the secrets, but um, I'm very familiar with it. And I know I can get some of those similar sounds. And plus, I don't get to drive it anyway in the house. So, like a 25Y amp is just perfect. But if my housing situation changes and like other things happen, I might keep that I'm, just because I've had it so long and still buy a Badlander for like just you know having another thing right like having another amp to play but the reality is um i have other things i need to take care of before that a lot of other things i need to take care of before that so it's not going to happen like right away or anything this is this is something on down the road and it may be that maybe they come out with another badlander they come out with a badlander 25 or something that makes more sense because i don't really need the this is this is the funny part so they start putting the cab clone ir on their amps and the badlander is the first one to feature it and it's like Okay, this is a wonderful idea, Mesa. Like, nobody's mad at you. But I already bought a Captor X. So, like, for my needs, it's kind of silliness. Uh, I don't need your, your cab clothing on there. And so I'm going to have to pay extra for it because the amp is too grand. And I'm sure at least $300 of that is probably software licensing, you know, kind of thing. Um, I, I mean, it is a quality piece. Like you see the transformers in the back of this guy, and they're like they're like the size of a bowling ball. I mean, it's just it's, I mean, it's literally like this big round. Um, the head is like thirty four pounds, I think we said. And to put it in perspective, the Fillmore, the combo is only like forty two pounds. So I mean, <laughs> you know, when your head is like thirty two, and the cop or you know, the head is thirty two, and the, they're like low or lower. You know, I don't want to say lower end, but their other combo is only 42 pounds. 
you might have, have some big transformers in there just saying yeah um and i think the el34s play, play a big part in why i like that amp which that's another another component so the Fillmore does have six l6s um but uh i think for that kind of amp you really should run six l6s or six v6s depending on you know what you're trying to do but um for the for the higher gain stuff like i'm a, I'm a big fan of el34 powered amps Anyway, um, yeah, so I ended up ordering a Fillmore. That's, that's, what, that's what actually happened. I, I got a custom one. Um, I wanted to, because this is going to be an amp I'm going to keep. It's going to stick with me. So I was like, I might, as well, I might as well pony up and get the right colors and stuff. Um, so I went ahead and, and put a little bit of extra money into it, not a lot. Um, and I got a you know, nicer grill and nicer uh, color combination. But um, I'm not a big fan of the stock look checkerboard grill thing that they did like i'm not this is not a, i'm not racing a car here <laughs> you know it's not going in my garage exactly <laughs> so anyway so you uh i was gonna ask you something about your your b2 situation and it going out and all the uh stuff how much so overlap did that guitar have with your strat huh how much overlap did that guitar have with your Strat in terms of sound? A lot, a lot. It 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 was a little punchier, but not by much. Remember, I've got noiseless pickups, which are effectively humbuckers, um, and that's what the V's are. Are humbuckers? They're supposed to sound like single coils. So, um, of course, they're Tim Shaw designed. It was 1980s, late 70s when he designed them. Um, so it was, uh, so this was my first reverb sale ever. Yeah. Maybe I that's never, a bit and it's my first online sale ever, by the way, of any kind. eBay, <laughs> reverb, you, Craigslist, are you name it. Are you nervous? A little bit, yeah, a lot. Okay, so, so let, me sh let, me, let me share you in on this. So I've got, I got 60 plus purchases, and I could have 60 plus purchases. I have probably 60 sales at this point. Right, but for a private guy, that's not a, a little bit of stuff being sold. That's that's quite a bit. Like when you look at the list, I was going through my sold listings and I went, "Holy crap! I can't remember selling any of this stuff." Um, I can't remember owning it. Um, and I, mean, I went through a period where I was just buying things that I could find cheaply and then like flipping them, and I'd make like two or three dollars here and there. But the reality was, I just want to try stuff out. Um, so yeah anyway that's that's how all that happened but i i can relate to that because even now like when i ship my kemper i freaked out because i'm like if anything happens to this in transit i have to wait for a ups claim <laughs> now you used you used reverb did you use their uh because according to reverb anything over a grand you have to have uh their they force you to have the shipping insurance. insurance. And it's a flat rate, it's 38 bucks. Uh, it is not a flat rate. Well, that's what they put on mine, it said 38 dollars. Well, maybe yeah, it was 38 dollars because, okay. Then they were I don't think, I don't think, it might be, man, maybe it is. I don't think it is, because I paid a little bit more than that, I thought. I thought I paid like $43 for insurance. Did you? Um, I paid 38. Yeah. I'm paying 38. Yeah, which is, you know, and then it just depends on the item and, like, what it is. Now, what do they do? Um, they tax you at the end of the year for the sales tax, or how does that work? No, 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 no. They take the sales tax from the seller or from, okay. the, from the buyer. 
So why do they say that fees out of the proceeds that comes out of your proceeds? So you don't you don't pay anything. Well, it said something about paying at the end of the month. That's, That's if there's an overage on the uh, shipping. Got it. Um, I don't think there's any additional charges like that. And I've run into that before where like I got some charges at the end of it for whatever reason, but it was just like some fluky thing where it was like my shipping was, you know, under under or over, um, which I, cause I've actually gotten money back from them too. So, so I, yeah, I want to talk to uh, Reverb for a minute. And of course, this is my first and only experience, but um, it, it was fast. Mm -hmm. It was it was fast. It was day one done. Fast. It depends on it depends on the item too. So like what you're selling definitely probably is more like there's a specific market and there are people watching for them all the time. Right. Um, some of the stuff I sell like it just sits, and you're like, what the hell? Like you know, there's somebody out there that wants this thing. Just make me an offer, and I don't like. If, if if something's up for making an offer, that means they're willing to sell. Like, right? Give them a, give them a reasonable offer, and chances are they're going to bite. Um, now I know that there are people that troll, you know, reverb and they look for like the really old listings that have an make an offer button and then like lowball the crap out of them. Um, but I don't I don't get insulted by that. Like I know some people are like, oh, this is such a waste of my time and. But listen, you know, like that's part of the sales game. You're gonna have that on Craigslist. You're gonna have that on Reverb. You're gonna have that anywhere. Um, that's just that's the way that it works. Um, but you know, so like, you you and you jumped you jumped in wholeheartedly because like you're selling a guitar for your first item on Reverb. Yeah. And um, I, the first thing I sold on Reverb was probably a pedal. And it was like, even then, I was like. If something happens is during shipping, like I don't really want to have to go through the anxiety of dealing with reverb and trying to make it right for the, the seller. And um, the tips I will give you uh, apply to our listeners too. So I think this is worth worthy conversation. Yeah. When, you, when the person receives the item, watch the tracking number. When the person receives the item, reach out to them and just be like, "Hey, I'm you know I'm, I have to see that the guitar was delivered. Let me know if you have any problems." Um, and just like hope you enjoyed your guitar, basically, yep. and like that's because because that opens the dialogue about hey, I know it was delivered, and the clock starts ticking on what reverb, you know, like so like if they come back to you and they're like, well, something's wrong with it, like three weeks later, then reverb knows well they received it here and you contacted them and asked if there was any problems. Yep. Um, yeah, and I have the well, item as described, clip. And that's definitely that I, I would say sold as sold as is is like another thing that you have to be very diligent about. If you're selling anything that is used or that you had a problem in the listing, like and you, you I always call them out like I'll bold it. I'll be like, no, this is what's wrong with it, and this is what's wrong with it, and this is what's wrong with it. But you know, um, just be aware, like sold as is is there to protect you for that. And if they don't read the listing, that's kind of their fault. Doesn't right. mean the reverb won't be a dick to you. Um, that does happen time, from time to time. I've heard I've heard horror stories, but that said, most of the time that'll protect you. Okay. And I've also uh, remember I sold that freaking Ibanez that our whatever the hell that was. It was an S four seventy DX 
QM or whatever. It, it was a turd is what it was. Yep, and I, remember that. I, I had to document every piece of damage on that guitar, and it was like a laundry list. There was probably 14 or 15 things that I had to, like, take pictures of and freaking bullet point out. Um, when you get to a guitar like that, you just bullet point. You don't describe the guitar. Y'all know what this is. This is these are the problems, you know, like, um, and and just try to describe the condition of bullet points because bullet, people will read bullet points. They're not going to read paragraphs. Well, I took um, I took very close up pictures, high quality close up pictures, all the way up the body, all the way up the neck, all the way up the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no question if there if there's a ding in there, it happened in shipping. Um, well, you're, you're probably going to be fine regardless. Yeah. I mean, I sold I sold an SRV Strat that had a hump in the neck, and I told the guy, I was like, it's got a hump in the neck. I'm like, you sure you want this? And he comes back and he goes, hell yeah, I want it. <laughs> you know, like, okay, <laughs> here you go. <laughs> um, and and he paid damn near full price used for it. Hump? So, what hump? <laughs> huh? I mean, that's why I was like, I mean, it's been, I, I told him, I said, it's been leveled and crowned around, but... It, the, the guitar is slowly twisting over time, and I said, I don't know how long that neck's going to be good for you, but, you know, I was selling it kind of like, I haven't had it listed it. I had it listed like 1200 They go for like 1250 and I had it listed at 1200 hoping that somebody would lowball me, because I'm like, you know, that would make more sense than trying to, like, try, hide it, you know, right. and being like, being like, here, there, there's a parts guitar, you know, you're not going to sell it for shit then, because they're going to part it out. Right. Um, so I didn't do that, but uh, I I found I find a buyer. It took about a week, and they were they were totally in tune with it. And I yeah. got rid of it. But but you don't. I mean, you're not dealing with any of that kind of stuff, other than it's been refretted. I mean, that's and and honestly, like anybody buying this guitar, you'd want it to be refretted yeah. if you're gonna play it. You know, yeah, if it's collectors, maybe you wouldn't like it. But yeah. Um. Do you, any where's the uh, where's the seller located? How far is this guy going? Jersey. Jersey, that's not too bad. No, three yeah, states. I think it's gonna be fine. Yeah, it's going. Uh, it'll probably be delivered next day. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It'll probably get delivered. I'll put it out Monday, and it'll get delivered before Christmas. Guy got himself yeah. a Christmas present. Present. Very Ryan. Uh, when is your uh, so? When you're gonna get your three thirty-five as soon as, it, as soon as you get your money in? Cool. Cool. Yeah, I don't see why I should wait. I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'll reach out to him immediately and I'll say, I see it's been delivered. Can you take a quick look at it? If he says, hey, everything looks good, I'm going to go spend the money. <laughs> yeah, well, so that's I, that's the other tip I was going to give you, which is that, like, until you get the all clear, yeah, um, I would hang on to the money. Um, I did have a situation with the Kemper where I forgot to ship the guy a power cable. And I remembered it before he said anything. And I told him, I said, I'll ship it to you in January. I was like, I was like, I know you got another power cable because he'd already told me he did. I was like, I could ship it to you now, but there's no guarantee it's gonna get there until January anyway. Yep. So I'm like, I'm like, reality is it would probably be better for both of us involved if I ship it because it's gonna go on a, you know, on a flat well, I was, I was very specific not to say it was all original. I said original yeah. parts. I did not say original. I said yeah. original parts. I don't even. I mean, I would have. I would have detailed the crap out of it. I would say pickups are original, obviously. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Original, I took pictures. You know, I took pictures of the original. numbers on the pickups. I'd never seen the back of those pickups before, so that was a new thing for me. Um, yeah. Th there's nothing to see. 
It looks almost the same on the underside as the oversize. Believe it or yeah. not, it, it's a plastic V. I figured it would show. <laughs> it's a plastic V with a with a wire sticking out. That's yeah. I mean, that's generally what. <laughs> but they do have a number that tells you what kind of interesting. <laughs> What's that? I've never seen anything interesting when they take a guitar apart. Yeah, no, like, nothing. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the, maybe I'm not lucky. I don't know. And I took the pick guard off um, to make sure there was nothing underneath of it. And it looked good. Yeah. So I put it back on. I was surprised at how boring underneath the pick guard looks. I, yeah. I imagine that's what an SG looks like when you take the pick guard off. Was there any, like, fading when you took the pick guard no. off? No. It looked uh, good. Probably been mostly an indoor plate or indoor kept guitar. Yeah. So not near time. a window or anything like that. Maybe even case lid. And it, yeah, it did a lot of case on it. Um, did you I have said, a, did you I have said that the case, case was not original. I did say that the case okay. lock does not work because the case dock doesn't work and the case is not original. I said that the um, the guitar, uh, I said I had strap locks on it. Um, I screwed up and put the regular pins back in. Um, and mailed it, and I said, I apologize. Um, I removed the strap locks. If you want me to put the strap locks in the box, it can. And he said, no, I'll, I'll take the original ones. Like, that's right. usually, yeah, and that's usually the way I am with, with that stuff too. Like, if there's strap locks on the guitar, I make it clear to them whether I'm going to take them off or not. Right. And even if I, even if I, like, if they're on the pictures, I'll ask them. I can throw them in the box. I really don't care. They're only like, it's like 15 bucks total, you know. Right. Um, and and the thing is worried. that when it comes to a strap lock, it's a very personal thing. Some people like Dunlop. Some people like Shallow. Some people right. want gold. Some people want silver. Some people want um, black. I had black on there. So I don't think that that – I think that's why you probably wanted it back to the gold uh, original buttons. Oh, that's right. They didn't have gold hardware. Yeah, because it's all gold hardware. And the nice thing about the, the, the guitar the, – the, most of those guitars that are online, the hardware is no longer gold. That is gone. Yeah. Mine, yeah. mine had all the brass was still there, or whatever. It's I, somebody plating, told me it's just plating. Yeah, it's a plate. It's a gold plating, but um, somebody had told me that a long time ago. And so, but the the gold was still there. I, I you know I wiped it clean and took very close up pictures of that gold to show it was still there. Um, so yeah. I think that's probably what sold it well was that it's it's in great shape. I didn't mention a refret, which. Mm. Well, I, don't I think, mean, if you get a guitar that's thirty years old that hasn't been refretted at this point. Yeah, um, that's going to be something that would have to be specified, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, and then that's something. If he gets it and he squawks, then you know he ships it back like it's yeah. a return. Yeah. No, yeah, I don't think that, anybody's going to... Because I had the original fret size put back on. Um, and he didn't re change all the frets, only the ones that... Uh, it, it, the ones that are cut in the V, he left those in there. Right, right. But you that's what I was saying, say, but you did, redid it in stainless steel, and that's yeah. something that would probably... Yeah, I didn't do stainless steel, and I didn't do anything like that. So. Oh, I thought you did. I thought you did. No. No. Because I knew that if, I, if this ever happened, somebody would scream, oh, my God, it's stainless steel. It doesn't, it doesn't sound the same. Fuck. I know. That's, uh, <laughs> I honestly don't give a shit. 
Like, you fine. Know. Here, take $200 off. You know, like, I, do, I honestly don't care. Do not give um, two flying fucks. So, well, yeah, it was a, so far it's been a positive experience. I'm going to tape this up when we get done taping this. <laughs> I'll tape that and uh, have it out in the morning. I'm going to have my son help me measure it because you got to measure the size and then measure the weight. It's about 32 pounds. Yeah, it's you're, you're gonna be fine. Like you're gonna, you'll get over it, Jim. Your life will be your life will be okay without the flying V two. It'll be all right. I promise. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> so, the, um, yeah. So I I did a gig tonight. And I was gonna ask you about that. Yeah, it, it went well. I was surprised that my voice held out. Um, I. I <laughs> I have been working Guitar Center every day for the last three weeks, and um, I had—I shouldn't say I worked there. So I have a forty-hour job, and, and yeah. I have this podcast, and I do the—you know—the other stuff. And Guitar Center picked me up for five days a week, one week six days, and. Uh, it was because they had some sick people. Yeah. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And um, they also had some firings. So oh, I had even to... even better. Huh? Even better. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had to fix that. I was very... I was very diligent in making sure that I didn't... Um, Get my, um, what's the word I want? What is the word I want, David? I, I, I didn't, I was very diligent about making sure that I was separating the two parts of my life. Work and life balance. Right, but I had no life balance. I only had work balance. Yeah. It yeah, was work, work and no work life. There was work, but no life. <laughs> yeah, it was work and work balance. And now I'm at where... I have three, like I was telling you, I have three days this week where I work, and then none. And I'm happy about none. I'm happy about it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, there's what? a lot of stuff going on in the background of my house right now. Yeah. And I'm just sort of wondering what the hell is going on. With I'm Chris, things falling off walls. No, it was your cat keeps flying up out of the top of that thing and flying back down. Oh yeah, and I'm sure, and I'm sure it's going like this. Yep. Because he's got no restraint whatsoever. None. Um, he's, yeah. Anyway, uh, actually, this is the first day I've been home. Uh, I, uh, my wife had to go out to Las Vegas last week, and so right. we've been quarantined. Um, she came back, and I. I picked her up from the airport and had the windows cracked in the car and like, which which is no small feat. It's like thirty degree, thirty degrees every day here. Oh now. yeah. And I got the mask on. I'm driving down the road. You know, like she's got her window open in the back. Uh, she got in the car and I said, I said, where would you like to go, Miss Daisy? <laughs> <laughs> and she had this look on her face, like, like underneath the mask, of course. You know, like, what the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> you son of a bitch. Yeah. That so. Um, yeah, I drove her. I drove her to my condo, and then we didn't speak for like 
four days, basically, like except via text or whatever. Um, and I stayed with my parents who were less than a mile from here, but. Um, oh, so you, oh, okay. Which that's a whole thing because my cousins live in there right now. My parents are there, obviously, and then my brother's there. So there's four people in the house already, and then we added, we added three more. Um, so there was a lot of freaking people in that house. I'm like you, you didn't couldn't just be put... in a room by yourself. That I'm surprised just didn't you didn't happen. just put her up in a hotel room. I could have, like, and she and she has travel benefits, so we could have done that. But I was like, you know what? Nobody wants to do that. You want to sleep in your own bed. Like, oh, yeah. Fine. We'll yeah. just stay over at my parents for a couple of days. It's okay. So we just came home today, um, nice. which is, uh, I, I mean, I so like the last couple of days, I haven't really played guitar plugged in. Um, I just had an electric with me. It was just kind of doing a lot of exercises and watching a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, um, which makes you appreciate an amplifier that much more the first time you plug into one after that. You're like, yeah, yeah <laughs> this is so much better. <laughs> like, um, yeah, it does. And, and I, of course, the first amp I plugged into today was the Badlander. Um, but uh, all is well, you know. I we didn't have. Um, I wanted. To, I wanted to take a brief minute and uh, send positive vibes to former show guest um, uh, HW Tone Junkie. Uh, he has been dealing with some crazy shenanigans. Uh, he got COVID. His wife got COVID. His kids got COVID. They were all stuck in California because, um, if you recall, he's he's living in Nashville. Yeah. Um, they actually flew out to California to see his father-in-law who was in hospice. And um, knowing that, that you know, he's in his final days. And then he got, his wife was actually sick and she handed it to a bunch of other people in the family, including his father. And his father got deathly ill. Um, he's still in the hospital. He start, he's starting to, to pull through, but um, at least that's what it sounds like. So you know, if anybody's got any uh, way to send positive vibes over that, it's great. Yeah. But he's now returning to work and he's returning to action. He did a little blurb today. He basically said, you know, I never thought like I would, anything would ever keep me from doing, you know, my business basically. Yeah. And he said, I was so sick. He's like, I just couldn't finish anything. Yeah. He's like, I'd start something and he's like, and I just wouldn't be able to finish it. Yeah. So um, positive vibes to him. I'm glad to hear that everything is turned up roses over there. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to see anybody go through that kind of stuff, especially people who've been on the show. And um, yeah, I did not, and I want to. I want to make this very clear to everyone, and I'm very, very happy about this. Not that it matters that much. I did not receive any hate mail from last week's episode, where I told <laughs> the audience that I don't care about what they think. Uh, if anybody listened to the end of the episode, you would have heard hear me say, "I don't give a shit what you think." Yeah, and. <laughs> The truth is, I I think that that comment can be taken out of context. So I know we're reaching the end of this episode because we didn't want to stay up too late. No. Um, but I wanted to I wanted to address this real quick. I didn't mean that I don't care about our audience. That's not what I meant. It meant that I'm not going to allow the audience to dictate what it is that I do. That's um, right. So that's that's all I was saying. Like I know that came out as really abrasive and sounded really terrible. And actually, for for a moment when I said it, I, I realized this and I said, you know, I'll be controversial for a bit. I'll leave this in place. And I sort of expected to get some hate mail. So thank you for not sending any. Um, those of you that do listen to the show, we know there are many of you that we don't actually know because um, you guys come out of the woodwork. <laughs> but um, yeah, things were good. Like no crazy 
Facebook Messenger things from people being like, you asshole, like, I'll kill you. I'll find you and leave you in a ditch. Um, that's kind of the stuff that I, that I don't like getting. Um, <laughs> but I'm not on social media anymore either. And actually, um, there's another podcast co-host who, uh, he was in our group and he, he spun off his own podcast, that's Stephen Conradi. And he's got a, he's got Strings to Soul, which is his podcast. Um, but he was telling me today, he's also decided to kick social media. And he said, it's the best decision I ever it's, made. It, I've been keeping myself to less than an hour. And in that hour, it's only about checking to see where my friends are going as far as gigs go. Or if uh, I have any uh, messages from family. It, it's to stay away from social media in general. I have not seen... In the beginning, social media had a positive influence. It has been... I think the positive influence is the addictive side. Yeah. I think it's like drugs, though. Once right. once you've had all the positive influence, it leaves nothing but crap. Right. And you, and you either start to feel empty and leave it, or you... St- you continue to chase a euphoria that doesn't exist. Right. And therefore you're looking for utopia, which doesn't exist. Which is dangerous because in our industry, and that's actually um, how I sort of want to finish the show is having a conversation. In our industry, the big push right now to market musicians to each other and to audiences is social media based. Right. And it's so easy to get sucked down the rabbit hole of, wow, I got to keep up with the Joneses and see all of the other horrible crap that comes along with music promotion, right? Yeah. Uh, And it's important to note that people like, I don't want to say B-listers, but like the guys that are really great musicians, everybody knows who they are. I'll I'll pick on Josh Smith because I'm familiar with him lately. like Josh Smith has has a good social media presence. He's not paying somebody to do it. He's doing it himself. But I guarantee you, Josh Smith is not is using his time wisely, and he's not on social media 12, 14 hours a day. Like it's a, an hour, or maybe forty minutes of targeted time. Right. Because guys like that, for what they're doing, they're spending most of their time. Like sharpening their tool, sharpening our tools, you know, getting their skill sets together, yep, and you know, getting gigs and doing that and traveling between gigs and um, maybe recording. They don't, they don't have time to burn on other things. Um. So I just, you know, I wanted to because we've done some some discussion about that earlier in the show. Like, use social media to market yourself, and I totally still believe that. But I think there's a way to go about doing it that doesn't mean you have to subject yourselves to the chaos and yep. disruption that is an addiction to basically a technology. I mean, that's it's essentially what it is. You just we just described it as, you know, the same thing as you know being addicted to a drug yep. and the euphoria and all that stuff that comes with it. Um, looking at cat videos, that's fine. Looking at cat videos 12 hours a day, that's not fine. No. Looking at cat videos and looking at politics, that's not fine. Right. Um, you don't want to mix your cat videos with your politics. Mm-hmm. And there's some devastating consequences of, of how that can be portrayed with your music, too. Like, somebody like me, I have very specific 
I'm expressing very specific things in my music. And if my music starts to get identified with, you know, the political stuff, be, and, and it would be a subconscious thing, you roll down your, you know, your Facebook feed, and it's, it's politics, my music, and then Guitar Center, right? Because I'm probably in with guitar people. Yep. And then, like, maybe something about the show, and then more politics, and then, you know, COVID-19 news, politics, yep. you know. And as you see, like, the association with me and politics in that. And it's like your brain forms those assumptions, um, and it's really easy to, like, see that and not think anything of it and not realize that your brain, the negative feelings that you're feeling about the political ad are also being applied to the other things that you're seeing around it. There, um, yeah. It's, it's brainwashing is what it is. Well, we watched the, um, what was the name of that uh, documentary? The um, uh, I, don't, I, I don't even remember offhand. There's social media. I think it's the social experiment or something. Social, on, yeah, social Netflix. experiment. Anyway, um, social dilemma. That's what it's called. That's it. Social dilemma, and it, let's face it: the the it exists because um, you have a um, it, they created ads. yeah the the yeah. like thing was created to give you euphoric feeling yeah you know everything that that came into. Uh, um, existence in social media, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, has even been Google Mail, huh? Even Google Mail. I yeah. mean, they were the pioneers. Yeah. Of how to get you addicted to something. Well, AOL, you've got mail. Yeah. I mean, who else came up with a voice saying you've got mail? And yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, it's terrible addiction. I fell out of the you got mail thing very quickly because I get my computer all day long would say, you got mail, you got mail, you got mail, you got mail. You got mail. Same, <laughs> same. It would not ever shut the... <laughs> well, for but but like, so the, the parallel I'm drawing here is like, because um, I want I really want to relate this concept to, to, to music specifically and like our listeners. We have a social media presence, right? We have the Facebook page and we do try to like interact with that once a day. Right. Uh, I know I get on there for a few minutes and take a look and see what's going on and see if I need to boot anybody out of the group for being a jerk. Yeah. Um, which doesn't happen a lot, fortunately. No. Nope. Um, but I was just saying, like, I it, it occurred to me that with all the quote unquote brainwashing that's going on by social media, either inadvertently or advertently, depending on your opinion, um, that this could be damaging people like Josh Smith having a good internet presence using things like Instagram and Facebook. And I mean, I, I wouldn't think that, 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 that like that association that I just described a minute ago would be like devastating to somebody's uh, reputation or anything like that. But I think the subconscious impact of like their music being serious or important, maybe it's a, like a more basic feeling than like, Oh, I hate this person politically, right. but it's, you know, an association with that feeling. Um, I just, there's no way to protect against it either. And you have, I mean, it is the most powerful marketing tool on the planet, right? Yep. And we, so I guess what I'm trying to say is just temper your expectations and realize that um, 
social media can be a dangerous tool for this stuff too if you're not paying attention if you're not yeah. like focused on what you're doing we we had a show listener actually reach out to us and say that they were no longer going to listen to somebody who had been on the show and i won't go into the specifics of who said what and when but because they did not agree with their attitudes that were being displayed on social media they were basically showing their ass and being very like belligerent politically mm -hmm. um and it clashed with their viewpoint and they were like you know what? i don't have a problem with the, the the clashing but they basically literally said that like their music is only suitable for one part of the political spectrum and like if if you're from the other part you shouldn't be listening yeah um, that's that's been happening in comic books lately there was a yeah yeah there was a woman who came out and said um that she uh she said you don't like my books don't buy them don't like my politics don't buy my books you don't like what i have to say don't buy my books well guess what she got her wish nobody bought her books well and you know what honestly like i sort of get that i because I, like I understand art, you know. I understand like music is an art, and I understand that people are expressing things. Yeah, but you're not wa working alienate, for to alienate someone instead of educate someone. Right, feels really screwed up. Yeah, and you're not working for DC when you're when you are an artist or a writer or a, right. a pencil person or whatever, um, a colorist for DC Comics. Your job is not to present your point of view. Right. No Whereas one an cares. independent musician can do whatever they want. Right? That's right. If yes. you're if you're like you, you are a an um, independent artist. Ergo, right. your Correct. music can will represent you. It doesn't represent EMI. It doesn't re represent ASCAP. It doesn't re represent anyone else. It represents David Hill. That's it. Right. And that. I respect 100%. But if you're on The Mandalorian and you tell people to go themselves. <laughs> I, I think I might know who you're actually talking about. Because there is yeah, one that's... character on The Mandalorian that has some very unpopular political. There is somebody. on that. That's not who I was talking about before. But I was actually talking about a DC comic writer. Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. But, I, but, but, I was but yeah, there, is, there are a couple of people on The Mandalorian. See, yeah, that's the thing. I don't care. Right. About the politics of, of a person on a TV show. I no, like the TV show. They're an actor. Like, right. what the hell do they matter? Right, exactly. I you're don't. Not Ronald Reagan. Care. Oh, wait, he was an actor. It's just like when, when Bruce Springsteen came out and said he was going to leave the country if, if one person didn't win the election. And I'm did, like, so. Did Bruce leave yet? Go. I don't care. What's, what's keeping you? What's keeping you? Whether he won or not, who cares? Who cares? Why yeah. are you still here? We, I'll I, tell you we, what. Do, does it matter to us where you live? Right. No. Other than maybe your family and a bunch of sycophantic friends, nobody gives a sh where you live, Bruce Springsteen. So get the fuck out. Go, get out. There's there's my uh, my invitation to you. Get the fuck. I don't care. Because the truth is, I've been I've been living a little bit under the radar, and. Uh, um, my points of view aren't as radical as one might think. I, I have a simple wow. point of view. I am a I am a I am a leave people alone, yeah. and do do whatever makes you happy, man. I mean, if it doesn't hurt people physically or um, psychologically in a in a broad spectrum, um, then do it. 
I'm just more I'm more concerned about like the fact that uh, if I'm if I'm community and this is just like a psychological thing that I have as a, as a musician and a, and a person right we talk about like I feel that the purpose of music is to communicate like that's a big right. part of it and I think that all art is some in some way communi- you know communicative yeah. um, whether it's to yourself you might be sending a letter to the you know to your internal self yeah. um, but I I sort of like. I think that all music and art really should be not only communicative, but also like kind of education yeah. rather than like, if you have a viewpoint, all right, let's, let's just talk about it from this perspective. If you have a viewpoint and you think it's right and you want to show that to someone else who disagrees with you, the best way to do that is not to call them an asshole. Right. Like the best way to do that is to actually explain it to them. Right. Or to find a way to show them the positives of what you're saying. And and like, be prepared to be wrong. Yeah, well, you know, that kind of attitude, like somebody saying, like, well, this music is only for this part of the spectrum. Like, let's be real here. You saying that basically means that you don't you don't agree. It's, it's like you 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 want to you want to commit genocide to the people that are on the other side. They're, you don't right. care about them. Like they're they're worthless to you. Yeah, um, and this has gone on for a long time on both sides of the fence. Sure, um, sure. Um, I mean, like even going back to like bands like MC5 and stuff like that, um, and even really, I don't think there were politically active bands like way before that. But yeah. um, I think, like, so if you didn't know, um, MC5 was like they did a big thing for the Black Panthers, and it was like I don't know all the specifics, but. They were they were involved with Black Panther leadership and all that, and what what a lot of people don't realize is that the Black Panthers actually showed up and asked Jimi Hendrix to become like their spokesperson. Yeah, they're like their musical no. like, yeah, they're officially and he and he turned them down um, because in his mind like education wasn't about radicalism and it wasn't about violence. Right, and that's kind of the way I think about it too. Is like. Yeah, believe me, every time I look at a newspaper, it doesn't actually exist anymore in my mind, but um, anytime I look at the news anywhere, like, I am vehemently, like, opposed to something in every article. Oh, yeah. And, and it's like, the last thing I want to do is write a song where I'm just going to be like, burn it all. Like, I don't, I, anger is, anger is a valuable emotion. I've learned that from therapy even though my anger is like really ridiculous. Um, anger is a valuable emotion because it does, it does prepare us to make positive changes and it allows us to decide when we're in danger and those kinds of things. Yep. And it's, and it's a valuable tool to get through those situations. Right. But understand that that primordial instinct to murder, maim, burn, and to harass your listeners um, does not make you a better person. Right. It does not make you view people view you any differently. No. And it ex- you exercise literally no power over them when mm. you do that. Like some people it's a power trip. I'm going to act this way because I am superior to you and that right. makes me feel good. Yep. And the reality is the person on the other end of it's just going to be like, dude, I'm just not going to buy your record. Like go yeah, away. Just, yeah. Okay, I won't buy your record. Product. <laughs> not going to lead to a physical confrontation. Yeah. Not going to lead to anybody changing their mind. It's not going to lead to anyone like stopping and having a moment where they think back to themselves and th- about who they've been their whole life. Those epiphanies don't happen because the artist says, you're a jerk because I don't like your political opinion. 
Yeah, we've lost we've lost a lot. Um, in that, I've I've always said to anyone, it didn't matter, you know, being a chief in the Navy or being, um, you know, in management and in, in telecommunications or, or in you know in a band. It's not necessarily what you say; it's how you say it and how you present it. Um, and like you said. If you're going to be confrontational, which is fine, um, being afraid like, of being, I like a lot of confrontational music. Yeah, being afraid of being confrontational has no, you know, that's ridiculous too. Um, but if you put the person, if your first words are to put a person on defense, you now you've already built a wall, and your ability to communicate with them has been severely. Um, uh, hurt because you're not you're not coming through you're, you're gonna you're gonna be stopped all that's going on in their minds because you got to remember we we do this tell me that you've never done this somebody calls you an idiot and then pronounce it or begins to tell you why you're an idiot the only thing that's gone through your mind is that person just called me an idiot and I can't wait to tell them to go for themselves so that that's the first thing you want to say is go f yourself there. And all they're doing is this. Yeah. It's just noise at that point. It's background noise. Yeah. Um, it's literally Charles, Charlie Brown's uh, teacher. Well, we have heard, um, I think what I'm trying to, what I was actually trying to say was there's definitely a group of people that identify with a sort of music that is based on the idea that I, every solution, the solution to every problem is violent. And that you can, you can exercise your authority against people in an aggressive or violent way. Yeah. But you know the funny part is the, the music that those people, I think of course I'm, I'm talking about and, and I know I'm probably going to get some some flack for this, but I'm talking about metal in general, mm -hmm. right? Like, there's a lot of aggressive metal talking about, you know, killing your enemies and that kind of thing. And that music is not intended to be interpreted by people that listen to it as, this is what you should do. It's supposed to be showing you, like, the darker side of human nature mm -hmm. and, like, how screwed up that is. You know, if, you, if you've ever wondered to yourself why there are vegan metal bands like maybe you should stop and realize that most metal artists are pacifist in some way. Yeah. Like they they understand that the things that they are doing on stage are not only purely for entertainment value, but also like communicating something about the fact that yeah, these these situations suck. And like there that darkness is, you know, in some way entertaining, but it's you know, it's still it's still a murder, it's still, you know, um a historical battle where, you know, where nobody won because everybody died, you know, like um, those are the kinds of themes that you hear in this music. And I've always wondered why, like some of my friends growing up were always like, yeah, it was so cool because it was so brutal and all these people. And it was like, you do realize that like, this is supposed to be sorrowful. Like, it's kind of like the blues. You're singing about something awful that happened, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I never really like, I never really jived with the way that other people experience that stuff. Yeah, I've never been I've never been bad at it. Um, yet people forget that often art 
is is a couple of things. It is a mirror of society as a whole. Yep. Or it is much like the three ghosts in um, Dickens' Christmas Carol. This is a good way to end things because we're yep. at Christmas time. Yes, the, Christmas. The ghost I forgot of, about that. Yeah, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the ghost of Christmas future. And to look at what the future could be if we continue to live in the past and allow it to go through the present. And we have to be able to look to the future and fix the future rather than fear it. We have to try to fix right. it. So, uh, I think taking that forward is like a thing for our listeners and like something that they can take action to, to improve their music yep. and to improve just the, their worldview on music and and the world outside at large, really, this stuff goes beyond music. I mean, it transcends that. Um, I would say, try something new. Right. Like, don't listen to the same record. Like, pick up something new, something you wouldn't necessarily listen to. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, give it a whirl. And maybe you don't like it, but try to understand what they're saying. Right. You know? Um, so, I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been the Practical Guitarists. That's correct.